Welcome to California Ballot Breakdown from KPFA, where we take you through the stakes of what's on your ballot, the money behind the campaigns, give everyone enough time to make their best argument, and then try to get them off their talking points. On today's special. It will help provide stability uh, to families, to seniors, to veterans, and it will also allow us to have a just recovery If you look around at the state where the strictest rent control is in place, you'll find the greatest incidences of homelessness. You'll find the highest rents. Proposition 21 would lift some of the restrictions on the forms of rent control that local governments in California can enact. We'll have a debate. Okay, before we get started, a quick programming note on the contents of this podcast feed. From here on out, the California Ballot Breakdown episodes are going to be shorter uh, and focused on one race per show. We figured that would be easier for you to navigate. Uh, The first couple episodes had a bunch together because we were just repurposing special broadcasts we did on KPFA. Now we'll mostly be lifting material from our live show up front that airs in the morning from 7 to 9 a.m. and packaging it as standalones here. This morning's debate was a doozy. Uh, Tens of millions of dollars have gone into the fight over whether California should allow expanded rent control at the local level. Uh, I have a few comments about how the debate went that I'm going to slap on at the end. Uh, For now, here is the discussion we had this morning on Prop 21. This is an attempt to roll back a state law that restricts the forms of rent control local governments can enact. Here is what it would do. Uh, It would make it possible to stabilize the rents of any building that is more than 15 years old. Under the current law, uh, you can't regulate anything built after 1995 or earlier in places that had a rent control law on the books when Costa Hawkins, the state level law, that preempts local rent control was passed. Second thing Prop 21 would do, it would allow for a limited form of vacancy control. Uh, Right now, local governments can't regulate how much rents go up after somebody moves out of a unit. Uh, Under the new law, local government would be allowed to cap that uh, in a way that let it go up about 15% over the course of three years between tenants. Uh, Third thing is that it allows for the rent regulation of single-family homes if they are owned by large landlords. That is something currently not allowed by uh, state law. Uh, It would exempt individuals who own less than two housing units. Okay, joining us to go through the pros and the cons in the affirmative, Renee Moya, formerly a housing advocate with the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, which is the principal financier of the push to prop, uh, approve Prop 21. He's now chair of the Yes on Prop 21 campaign. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. And on the con side, Stephen Viglio is a political consultant with Forza Communications and with the No on Prop 21 campaign uh, that is principally being bankrolled by real estate and landlord businesses. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, Renee, we'll start with you because you're in the affirmative. Take two minutes, make the case for Prop 21. Absolutely. And again, good morning to everyone listening today. You know, Prop 21 was absolutely vital prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, but in the wake of the pandemic has become even more vital. We know that prior to the pandemic, 
over half of renters in the state of California were paying too much money on their rent. In fact, something like 30% of the 17 million renters of the state of California were severely rent burdened, which meant that they are paying at least half their income on rent. And we know that that has driven a huge evictions crisis in the state of California. Something like half a million renters uh, lose their homes through the court process every year. Uh, and that is an undercount. We know that the real number of people who lose their homes through evictions is something closer to a million people uh, once you factor in informal evictions. This is no, uh, it is no wonder then that the uh, homelessness crisis in this state is as bad as it is. We are the capital of homelessness with 27% of the country's homeless folk uh, here on the streets of California. And we know that that is costing all of us billions of dollars in response. So Prop 21 is really a response to that issue, that urgency of an existing housing crisis that now is getting all the worse as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. With this pandemic, we know that something like 5.4 million renters who were already rent burdened and struggling to pay their rent are the folks who are now very, very likely to possibly lose their homes over the coming months, even after uh, the current statewide protections that were uh, passed uh, or put into law uh, called AB 3088, once those laws uh, expire in March, a lot of these folks will be in the firing line for evictions. This is why Prop 21 is important. It will help provide stability uh, to families, to seniors, to veterans, and it will also allow us to have a just recovery from what is the worst economic crisis in the last 90 years. Right. We'll go to Steve Baviglio for the argument against Proposition 21. Uh, you can take two minutes as well. Sure. Thank you. And sorry to hear about the news about KPFK. That's pretty tragic. Um, I think Renee and I agree on one thing. There's a housing crisis in the state of California, but undeniably Prop 21 will make it even worse. Uh, if this sounds familiar to your listeners, it's because it was on the ballot less than two years ago. And less than two years ago it was defeated by a margin of almost 20 percentage points, losing every county in the state except for one. Bad idea then, bad idea now. What's even worse now is that Prop 21 is being sold as something to deal with evictions and homelessness, and there's not a single word in Prop 21 about evictions or homelessness. Every economic study that's well-respected in the state, every affordable housing builder in the state will tell you that Prop 21 will make California's housing crisis even worse. It takes units off the market. We've seen that in many communities where rent control is put in place. People simply take their units off their market, turn them into condos, turn them into Airbnbs, because they don't want to be subject to draconian rent control. If you look around at the state where the strictest rent control is in place, you'll find the greatest incidences of homelessness. You'll find the highest rents. And unfortunately, Prop 21 will allow that to go statewide. The LAO, which is the legislative analyst, the independent nonpartisan who does the analysis of every ballot measure on the on the um, ballot this year, found that this would decrease property values substantially, and that in turn would lead to a substantial drop in the high tens of millions, in their words, to our state and our communities. And I can think of nothing worse during the pandemic is to have our local and state governments who are doing their very best to keep people's head above water have more cuts to their programs, and that's what Prop 21 will do, according to the independent legislative analyst. So in Steve, a nutshell... Oh, sorry, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say, uh, Renee mentioned the support of seniors and veterans group. And in fact, they use actors in their ads to portray that. If you look at the supporters list, the real veterans groups, the real senior groups oppose Trap 21. Steve Bifiglio, I, I like to try to sort out um, the matters of principle from, from the specifics of legislation. So the arguments you all made are, are arguments that are applied generally against rent control. Do you think it would be good for California to eliminate all forms of rent control? You're asking me, Steve? Yeah. Oh, well, that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about Trot 21. We have on the books rent control. It's called the cost. So you're of cool with California law allowing for rent control of properties built before 1995, but 1996 is a bridge too far. It's state law. I explain to me that. what the principle is that, that holds that up. The principle that holds up state law? That says 1995 should be the cutoff for time eternal on which properties can be rent controlled? Well, that's pretty simple. When you look at uh, people that are actually building new affordable housing in this state, every single one of them opposes Prop 21 because they know that projects don't pencil out. No, 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 an endorser is not an argument. What's, what's the principle? Tell me what your principles are here that inform your policy position. The principles are that rent control leads to a stoppage in the construction of affordable housing, that it takes units off the market, and at, in Prop 21, it even allows rent increases of up to 15%. So it's an argument against all forms of rent control. It's an argument against what's in Prop 21. You know, it's odd that you're focusing on the principle of rent control when the yes on 21 side doesn't use those two words in their ballot argument or their opposition to this in what's presented to voters. They're afraid to use that vote because they know that Californians well, I'm, I'm, don't. I'm focusing, I'm focusing on the structure of your argument. Um, I, I, I wanted to get some clarity on that. It's something we commonly do because we have the room to have that discussion. Uh, let's go to Renee Moya for, for uh, a response on the specific critiques. Steve Maviglio raised. Um, I, I think there is an economic argument here that rent control over time uh, reduces the amount of housing on the market. Can you respond to that, please? Yeah, for sure. I think there are two elements to that argument. The number one uh, element there is this idea that rent control will somehow impinge on the construction of new housing. Actually, empirical evidence has shown that that is not the case. We have a number of longitudinal studies, one, for example, that looks at the uh, example and history of rent control in New Jersey, but also, again, the, uh, the uh, kind of broader studies, the USC price uh, Institute study that was released two years ago looked at the literature um, over the course of the last few decades and found again that there is a negligible impact as a result of uh, rent control of new housing. New housing construction is determined basically by the strength of an, eco uh, of an economy, of a local economy, right? And so for that reason, this is why we see very big differentials basically in the construction of housing between, let's say, San Francisco and places around it that uh, don't have rent control, right? Rent control, again, is, has a negligible impact on that construction. I do wanna say one thing though, I wanna take exception to something that Steve said here. The major funder to the Prop 21 campaign is itself a large nonprofit developer. Uh, they have built uh, something like a thousand units for a very low income, in fact, truly low income housing, extremely low income housing in the city of Los Angeles, and in fact is breaking ground on an entirely affordable housing unit, uh, uh, you know, building tower 
in downtown LA over the coming months. And so this idea that we can't both protect people and at the same time build housing is ludicrous, frankly. Yeah, I also want to be able to- Can we look at that? I want to be able to- I wanna, Sure, I'll give you Steve, time in a second, Steve, Steve, but let's let him finish yes, responding to you. you. Go ahead, Renee. A couple of other things that Steve said that I think are very, very interesting. He said that the LAO is uh, saying that that the uh, Prop 21 is going to lead to cuts. That is a complete nonsense. There's not a word about budget cuts anywhere in the LAO study. People can see it for themselves. More importantly, this idea that, yes, we're going to spend purportedly, the cost might be in the high tens of millions of dollars. The state budget of the state of California is $148 billion a year. The economy of California is $3.2 trillion. The amount of money that the LAO is estimating, based on a couple of factors that we would contest, is a drop in the bucket. Meanwhile, the amount of money that we're spending for the failure to actually tackle the housing crisis, the failure to prevent people from becoming homeless is in the billions of dollars every year. If you look at places like LA County alone, hundreds of millions of dollars are spent every year to try to do something about homelessness before it happens. This is why LASA, the county agency for homelessness in Los Angeles over the last two years has said during its homeless count, we need to do something to stop people from becoming homeless to begin with. We need to do something about affordability in particular, and we need to ensure okay, that we'll pick rent up on those points. Aren't I, making I, people I do homeless. want to try to portion the time out evenly here. Uh, Stephen Maviglio, you wanted to, to respond to something uh, Renee Moya just said. Yeah, you know, Renee talked about this nonprofit that builds housing, and let's see who it is. It's the AIDS Health Foundation that has a $90 million slush fund that they use for political purposes. A few years ago, it was prescription drugs. Uh, a couple of years before that, it was condoms for actors, and this year it's rent control. Uh, this so-called landlord it was cited in a March article by, in the LA Times as a, quote, slumlord by its tenants for having its buildings infested with roaches, elevators that don't work. That's not the kind of landlords that we want to see in the state of California. He talks about billion-dollar landlords. Well, most of the landlords in the state are small mom and pops. And as you said in your introduction, this applies to anybody with more than three units. And frankly, that's who it's hitting right over the head. People that have saved their whole lives for a building that they rent out. Many of these people treat their tenants like families. I'm hearing stories all around the state. There was a big story in the Bay Area yesterday about a landlord whose tenants aren't paying their rent. And guess what? They're now going to be homeless because they still have to pay taxes and everything else. So to try to make this out as some billionaire attack, it's not the case at all. 75 percent right, of the landlords in the state have less than 10%. I mean, small landlords have their property taxes capped. They, they have rent control on, on what they have to pay to government they do um wh- why is it a problem there's to no cap on cap rent what they on can collect from their tenants in the state of california there's no rent on taxes cap on rent taxes go up every year in this state so to by a maximum of two percent right. of the assessed value and of the property at the time it was purchased exactly so what you're doing is saying let's cap rent but let's not cap everything else that a landlord has to deal with and you know what Something happens when that happens. People get out of the business of providing housing because it doesn't make any economic sense when you cap the revenue, but you don't cap the expenses. Simple math. And every study, sorry, Renee, every real study that looks at rent control shows a real slowdown and sometimes almost a freeze 
and housing of affordable units. Oh, sure, people keep building luxury units and people can pay for those. But if you ask the people in this state that are building affordable housing and not nonprofits with political slush funds, they say, not going to happen anymore. We can't make money in it. So let's keep from I, 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 I keep coming back to it, and, and maybe this is this is me because I, I live in a place where uh, property values and rents have accelerated very dramatically in the inner bay area. Um, I can think of six people in my neighborhood who would be unhoused tomorrow if they were not currently protected by rent control. If not rent control, what is your solution? <laughs> the solution that almost everybody in the housing world is to build new housing, take down many of the barriers we have to building new affordable housing. It's insane how much it costs to build housing in the state. And that's by somehow by all these regulations that are tied up into it. And now you're adding yet another one or landlords who want to put a new roof on their building would have to go to a rent control board and get permission to do it. I mean, it's crazy. People are not going to be in the business of providing affordable housing because it doesn't pencil out. And the pure economics, I get it that people want a house for everybody, but somebody has to pay and invest in that. And when it's not a profitable enterprise, people won't do it. And the only people will build housing are government. And we see what happens when government builds housing turns into slums and the other thing is you can tell if when rent control properties are more than enough studies that say these buildings are not maintained the way they should be because it's not economically viable to do it if i may actually jump in at this point because i think steve has made a couple of points that i think i deserve response uh, number one you know we are uh, endorsed not just again by the aids Healthcare foundation we've just been endorsed by california coalition for rural housing who build housing by the southern california association of nonprofit housing who build housing nonprofit. we have been endorsed by housing california who in include a lot of people who do nonprofit housing right nonprofit. Uh, number one number one uh, steve you've spoken a lot thank you very much uh, a couple of other things, though, that are important here. In terms of regulations, the same case that Steve is making about how we have to, quote unquote, remove regulations, which is a euphemism for saying that we have to protect fewer people with rent control, is the argument that the California Apartment Association, the paymasters of Steve Naviglio and all of the people on his campaign, though those folks made that claim 25 years ago that purportedly by removing rent control, we were going to suddenly see a building boom across the state of California that would make affordable housing easier to find. That is what Jim Costa, the elected official from Fresno, who said he said this, he was quoted in the LA Times making that claim. What actually ended up happening is that there was a 44% decrease in the construction of multi-family housing in the state of California in the 15-year wake of the passage of Costa-Hawkins compared to the 15-year prior uh, when rent control was born in the state of California. We know as well, by the way, this is from, apparently Steve thinks that uh, the USC Price Institute, that the Haas Institute, that the UCLA Luskin Institute uh, are all apparently not real organizations or real institutes. I can say that the UC, that, uh, UC Berkeley, uh, there was another study that was done four years ago that showed a couple of things about uh, rent control. It actually showed or made the argument that uh, a number uh, of bad factors basically happen as a result of the passage of the Costa-Hawkins Act, right? Uh, among them was the fact that uh, it, there was increases in rents above inflation, far above inflation, that increased rents ended up resulting in a wealth transfer from, landlord, from tenants to big landlords, that it destabilized rents overall, that it decreased the total units of affordable to low uh, and middle income renters. And finally, that same study, again, four years ago, showed that there was absolutely no 
impact of rent control on the uh, conditions of housing. Why? Because ultimately, most uh, jurisdictions, when they adopt rent control, also adopt something like what we have here in L.A., the systematic code enforcement program. There, your ability to live in non-slum-like conditions okay, has nothing to do with rent control. We're weeds if we go too far into that, and also we don't broadcast to L.A. Uh, again, try, no, try to sure. referee Can the I just, time. I Steve Maviglia will come back there. to you for a response. Yeah, I just yeah. want to complete yeah. that thought. You done? So, oh, well, I was just going to complete Maviglia. the thought and say again. Okay, oh, sorry, thank Bob. you. Well, you know, listen, you know, there's, you know, anybody can pick out a study by one or two economists, and Renee does a good job at that. But let's look at the coalition that's against this. It is so broad and wide, as opposed to our opponents. But you have Governor Newsom strongly opposed to this. And why? Because the legislature actually tackled this issue with an anti-rent gauging law that is widely recognized as the strongest in the country. We have Democrats in the legislature opposed to this. On the other side of the fence, we've got the California Republican Party. In the middle, we have building trades unions. We have veterans of foreign wars. It is such a broad coalition against this because no matter where you sit on the ideological spectrum, people recognize this is a bad idea in the long run. So that's what we really need to focus on, building more housing. And there's nothing here. There's no incentive to build housing. There's no money in here. Imagine if the $40 million at the AIDS Health Foundation, which should be going to AIDS patients, by the way, was spent on affordable housing. No, it's being spent on useless political campaigns. And that's what the real shame is. This, the proponents of this did not sit at the table when the legislature was crafting that bill. They stood on the sideline like petulant children and said, if you don't do what we're going to do, we're going to do an initiative. So here we are again after voters rejected this by 20 points. You want to get something done? Come to the table in the legislature and get it done, like all the other progressive groups have done in supporting AB 1482 you know, and also the anti-eviction law. The sponsors of this don't want no part of that. And they just want to go to the ballot and spend money. They've done it in a number of states. And you know, it's, it's kind of a shame. It's political malpractice. Renee Moyer. If I can, yeah, if I can just respond to that, uh, a couple of things. In fact, every single author of that very same law that Steve is talking about, AB 1482, all of them support Prop 21. That includes Assemblymember David Chu. That includes Assemblymember Richard Bloom. That includes Assemblymember Rob Bonta. We are supported by the California Democratic Party, the California Nurses Association, the California Federation of Teachers, the Los Angeles Times, the ACLU of Southern Cal of California, sorry, the Sierra Club, California Alliance of Retired Americans. We have over 300 elected officials and organizations across this state, which are labor unions, faith-based leaders, all of these peoples of Dolores Huerta Foundation, they are behind us because there is no pecuniary, there's no financial gain that we are getting from simply extending protections to people. Quite the opposite of what is going on on the other side of this debate, and it has to be very clear. I want to say one thing just because I think Steve loves to focus in on this. Uh, again, the Healthy Housing Foundation, the organization that, that you know uh, Steve is talking about, is spending $50 million alone on the construction of one affordable housing tower in downtown L.A. That is more than is being spent uh, for, on Prop 21. That was much more than was spent during Prop uh, 10, first, first and foremost. On the other side, you're right. Steve did say that they have quote-unquote broad support because they are giving the no on 21 side has given 1.2 million dollars to the republican party and that is the third largest contribution to the, the california republican party over the last two years has been given by the no on 21 campaign this is not a bipartisan effort in fact i want to i want to end on one well, thing i, I, I want to end on on governor Newsom here. i want to address this yeah. full 
full on. I actually, I, I sympathize with the rock and the hard place that the governor was placed in by the California Apartment Association because he knew that trying to get AB 3088 out of the legislature was going to be extremely difficult if the California Apartment Association and the real estate industry in general was opposed. There were there was very, very a like, high likelihood that that bill which if it had not passed would have meant millions of renters in California would have been evicted on September 1st, 2020. That would have happened unless he was able to uh, mollify the real estate industry and in particular the California Apartment Association. And so he had to make a trade-off. He had to be able to say in the short run, we can't let millions of people go homeless. And if that means I have to come out against Prop 21 to satisfy the demands of the real estate industry, I will do that. That is a rock and a hard place that I don't wish upon anyone. And so, again, I, I'm sorry to see that the governor took the wrong side on this. I'm sorry to see that he didn't join the vast majority of the Democratic Party who okay. stood behind we, us. But I understand point, the political reasons sure, for it. I want to make sure, Renee Moya, that because we gave you the first word, we gave Stephen Diglio the last word on Proposition 21. Uh, we got about 90 seconds left, sir. Sure. Well, I mean, again, look at the coalition. That What Renee just said is absolutely false about Governor Newsom. He opposed Prop 10. He opposed this because it's bad policy, period. Uh, this proposition is opposed by 20 of the 21 daily newspapers in the state. I've never seen anything so lopsided against an initiative. Um, Talking about the Republicans, the proponents of this are using Donald Trump's media agency to place ads in their campaign. And that was exposed by Politico. Um, you know, they use actors in their commercials because they can't find real firefighters and real veterans to actually do that job. You know, so the fraud of this campaign is really something that needs to be examined. But the bigger picture is the reality of housing policy. And as you go to the housing experts, and you go to the legislature, you will find that people have enacted good things for the state. Uh, let's stop talking about housing and, stop and start talking about what the faults are of Prop 21, because it's not the same thing. We need to build more housing in the state. This is a major disincentive to do that. Anybody who's in the business of building this, not a nonprofit with a little bit of a side job of doing it, will tell you that this is bad policy, and that's why it should not be enacted. All right, that was the voice of Stephen Maviglio. He's a political consultant with Forza Communications. He is with the NOAA on Proposition 21 campaign. Uh, that is principally financed according to the disclosures we have so far by large real estate and landlord businesses. On the affirmative side, we had Renee Moya, formerly a housing advocate with the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, which is the principal financier of the pro-Prop 21 campaign. Uh, he's now chair of the Yes on 21 campaign. I want to thank both of you for joining us this morning. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Okay, Brian here uh, recording after that live interview aired. I, I wanted to attach a quick postscript because I feel like I didn't quite do my job as a debate moderator. Uh, our kind of uh, animating idea for these debates is that if you, you allocate enough time to the discussion, we, we run about 21 minutes, uh, then the people debating an issue can't just recycle a couple focus group tested talking points. They have to actually engage in the substantive issues. And that helps us do some important things. Um, when you talk long enough, you can usually sort out kind of objections to details of how a policy is designed from principled objections to what the policy is trying to do. And often that comes down to a big picture question of whose interests government and policy should serve. Uh, 
find it really helpful to get into those distinctions. Um, you might remember our debate on Proposition 15. Well, the, the person who the No campaign gave us said he didn't object in principle to the goal of taxing large businesses' commercial real estate holdings at a higher rate than currently. Uh, he just thought the small business exemption wasn't well constructed. Okay, we've sorted out the details from the principle. He couldn't name any examples of small businesses that would be impacted. That was telling. You don't get there without immediate discussion. Um, or you might think about the debate we had on Proposition 19. The, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayer Association gave us someone to debate against it. Became very clear in the course of our conversation. They have a basic principle that is about putting the interests of property owners first. Okay, it's a difference of principle. There, there wasn't any real dispute over the details of what the policy would do or what impacts it would have. This debate devolved really fast into arguments from authority. Um, academics agree with me. And ad hominem attacks. Ad hominem means that you're attacking the person arguing with you based on their character or their associations, uh, not the, the merits of the argument that they are making. So I felt like I should jump in with a couple fact checks after the debate. Uh, you heard Steve Maviglio, who was arguing the no on 21 side, uh, say no affordable housing builders support Prop 21. Uh, this took like 30 seconds on the internet to debunk. I, I looked up the nonprofit that represents affordable housing builders in my area, uh, East Bay Housing Organizations. They have a giant yes on 21 endorsement on the front of their web page. He also like several times made sweeping statements saying um, all, all the economics research on rent control supports his position. And I, I've read a lot of the academic work and, and I want to be clear, um, you can't make a sweeping statement like that about the academic research on rent control. Um, there are a lot of empirical studies. They study specific laws in specific places at specific times. Uh, and there are wide areas of disagreement in academia, uh, both about the general applicability of the studies and, and of how they're constructed. Rent prices get determined by a lot of factors and which ones you include or exclude in a study can determine the outcome you get. Uh, they may have nothing to do with rent control. But I, I just want to point out, there's basically agreement in the academic work that rent control measures benefit, save lots of money for the people living in rent controlled housing. Um, there's a couple areas of contention. One is if they have any effect raising the price of the housing that's not rent controlled, the remaining market rate housing. There's a related question of whether strong rent control measures make landlords basically just keep units empty or take them off the market through other means, uh, which also presumably would help push up the prices for the remaining market rate housing. And again, disputed area of research. A lot of it comes down to the nitty gritty details of how rent control measures are designed. Uh, are they accompanied by things like eviction protections? Are they accompanied by things like penalties for keeping a unit vacant, uh, protections against rental housing being converted into things like condominiums that take it out of the rental housing market? Um, I would have loved to get into the details. Uh, that was not the conversation I was able to moderate us towards this morning. So there you go. Uh, it's the home stretch of a election cycle. Um, I, I, I will say this piece of context that I think is important if you're making up your mind about the ballot. 
Prop 21 does not create any new rent control measures in California. What it does do is expand the types of rent control that local governments can enact, which means the debate over the details uh, that would be still to come in a city hall or county board of supervisors office near you. Right, that does it for the angry debate edition of today's California ballot breakdown. Remember, you can subscribe to all of our election segments as a podcast. Just go to kpfa.org and search for California ballot breakdown. A big thanks to Corinne Smith, who produces these segments. My name is Brian Edwards Teeker. Remember, in California, your vote has even more impact down the ballot. Make a plan to vote. There is a full suite of resources on pandemic voting in California on our website, kpfa.org dot org.